0: Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, for that time of worship this morning. Hey, church family, as I told you at the beginning of the service, uh, we are going to be transitioning to our new sermon series on the book of James today. But before we get there, uh, I want to bring to your attention, like we do normally, at this time in our worship gathering, we would typically take up our tithes and our offerings. And I just want to bring to your attention what you see there on the screen, homesavenue.com forward slash give. If you're, a, if you're a visitor and you're just checking things out and maybe you feel led to give, you can go there and give. If you're a church member and you want to go ahead and give online, you are welcome to do so. Uh, so that link is there and it's available to you at any time. It's, it's not just available right now. Anytime that you potentially feel led uh, to give to the ministry of what God is doing here, please do so. And church family, I just want to encourage you. Thank you for continually giving, even though things have been completely different uh, than what we're, we're used to over these last few months. Uh, God has been faithful. You guys have been faithful, and it's just been a a joy to be able to hear uh, how the finances are going. So the mission is continuing, and and people are giving to it, and I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart, and I say thank you for that. I also just want to bring to your attention today, we start the book of James, and I'm really excited about this sermon series. Uh, We're going to be looking at this book of James Through the summer. So we start today, May 31st. It's going to carry us through August to actually the week before the end of August. So the next couple of months, we're going to be camped out here in the book of James. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Now, I want to go ahead and give you a little warning. The book of James for followers of Jesus can be challenging to go through and to study because James is, is pretty assertive and he's letting you know what is expected of a follower of Christ. And so there may be times as you're listening and studying through this, as we have home groups and such, and we're studying through these scriptures to where you're like, oh man, I feel like my toes are getting stepped on at times and all that. That's a good thing. It's the the Holy Spirit at work in your life and the scriptures, God is going to do the work through them. So I just want to encourage you, buckle up. It's going to be a great ride. I'm looking forward to it as we journey through this excellent book. Now, Uh, I want to bring to your attention something there's going to be a resource that we're going to be giving to you here in the in the next week or so we're waiting on it actually to be shipped here to uh, the the church and and because of all that's been going on in our world today uh, you have not been able to get this yet because it's a little bit delayed on shipment we have these ESV journals this is a book uh, specifically on the book of James and inside you'll see on the left hand side there's the scriptures in the ESV translation that we preach from And then on the right side, there's empty pages for notes. This resource is going to be made available to everyone in our congregation free of charge. It's a a wonderful resource for you to be able to soak through as you're studying scriptures in your home groups and as we go through these sermons. So I want to bring that to your attention and let you know I will get that out to everyone as soon as they arrive. We are waiting on shipment and we will have those. So take your notes now as we start today's sermon. Go back, fill those things in when you get your journal. Now. Enough of all the intro and talking about it, let's dive into God's Word. We are going to be looking today specifically at James chapter one verses one through 11. And I want to invite you now, as we do, let's stand together wherever you may be, and let's honor the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, 1 through11. And the word of the Lord says, "James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away. In the midst of his pursuits. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the time of worship that we've had, exalting the name of Christ here in this place. Father, I thank you for who you are, sovereign God over this world. And I thank you, Lord, for your word that we have the opportunity to gather freely, although maybe dispersed in our home groups or wherever we may be right now listening to this. But, Father God, I, I know, Lord, that your word does not return void. I know, God, that you are going to work through the proclamation of your word. So, Father, I pray over this time now. I pray, Lord, that, that as I, I stand here and proclaim your word, Lord, that you would get me out of the way, Lord, that you would speak here in this moment. God, that you would give us direction of how we are to live our lives. Lord, on this topic today uh, of having joy in the midst of trials, Father, I pray, God, that your word would, would just penetrate hearts today. God, I pray, God, that you would direct us in what we need to do next for you. Father, maybe that's taking a step of faith and trusting you. Father, maybe it's uh, taking the next step in in believer's baptism uh, because we maybe have not gone public with our faith in Christ. Whatever those things may be, God, I pray that you have your way here in this place and that your will would be done. I, I pray, God, that you be glorified here in this place. I love you, Lord, and I bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today, with what we're seeing in these 11 verses, we're going to see that followers of Christ must trust God and his divine purposes in trials. Asking for wisdom in dealing with these said trials and understand the trials for those in poverty and wealth. And I'll explain all that to you in just a moment. before we get into our points, I just want to bring your attention to the greeting that we read there at the beginning. Let's look again at James 1.1 for a moment. "...James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings." We see here in this introduction of James, uh, which is obviously historically written by someone named James, this is believed to be James, the half-brother of Christ. And, And so he is the one that is writing this letter. And he describes himself as a servant of God, or as the Greek says, a doulos of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, that term there, servant, it gives this imagery to us of the Lord having complete authority and ownership over James. That's why he says, I am a servant of the Lord. This is how all followers should see themselves in the sight of the Lord. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been saved by his grace and his mercy, and we are called to live obedient lives to him. Therefore, we must Look at ourselves as servants of God. James also indicates that his audience is the 12 tribes in dispersion. This is a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel, and they are scattered throughout the world by the Assyrians and Babylonians. And because of how early this letter is is believed to be written, sometime around year 40, it's one of, if not the earliest book of the New Testament that is written. Just giving you a little bit of a, a heads up on what we're seeing here with this book. And so for us today as followers of Jesus, many, many, many years after these pages were penned, year after year, translation after translation, God's word is still living and active today. And for us, there is much that we can gain from this letter that James writes. So what I want us to see today, there are three points. The first one we're going to see is that followers of Christ must, number one... Trust God and his divine purposes in trials. Trust God and his divine purposes in trials. Verse 2 again says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James tells us, the reader here, us today, to count it all joy when we face trials. Now when hearing that, how does that make you feel? Trials are not fun, are they? Trials can be difficult. Trials bring anxiety. Trials bring a lot of different feelings and emotions and nervousness, all of those kind of things. Does it make you want to stop and say, wait, wait, what? What are you you saying, James? Count it joy when I face a trial? I don't know about you guys, but when you're facing a trial, for for me, it, it can be difficult at times. But James is bringing to our attention the fact that we must count it joy. This type of mentality. Maybe we're focusing, focusing in on a moment where we get, get so caught up, if you will, in the trial. There might be times where we say, man, woe is me. I got all this going on, this, 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 this. Or we say, God, what in the world is going on? Why am I going through this? Yet instead of having that type of mentality, we should stop and consider it joy. And, and here's why. We must first remember that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over this world. He reigns over this world. That means that he is sovereign over the trials as well. The trials do not surprise him. The things that are going on in our world right now, it does not surprise him. In fact, he allows trials for the moment for us to grow in faith and trust him and to grow in that, as we'll see in this passage. A trial can be just about anything that the Christian faces And that includes also temptation. Now, as we're going to see next week, as Pastor Walter brings the message, we're going to see this topic of temptation and how it plays out. And we have to make sure that we point out that God does not tempt us, but there are trials that are allowed for the purpose of producing steadfastness in our life or endurance, as we're going to see here in verse 3 in just a moment. But there's one thing I just want to read to you for a moment. You'll see it here on the screen. Dr. Robert L. Plummer, he's a a biblical scholar and he's written some great books. And one of the commentaries that I've studied through for this, he says in there on the commentary on the book of James, the occasion of the trial is a matter of rejoicing because even in the darkest hour, God is still in control and his divine purposes will prevail. Did Did you hear that, church? In those moments In those moments of the occasion of the trial, it is a matter of rejoicing because even in the darkest hour, even in those moments where you feel like, man, there is no way getting out of this, even in those moments where it is painful and you're suffering, you're like, what in the world is going on? We must still rejoice because God is still in control in the midst of what we are facing. Now, James says there in verse 3, follows up from verse 2, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James says there, for you know. He indicates that the follower of Christ knows that God is in control. And if he is in control, he will get through the trial and come with this produced steadfastness or endurance. And that endurance that we get through going through these trials and understanding that God is in control, it is unwavering. And praise God for that. We have these moments where we have these trials that we face and we go through them and we see what God does in and through us through that. And we come out of it with endurance, steadfastness, ready to continue to move forward, trusting God with our lives. Trials are difficult, folks. Trials produce anxiety, as I said a moment ago. And when when that happens, it can bring this restlessness in our hearts and in our spirit. But we must know, as James is indicating, that God is using the trial to refine us and to change us to be more like Christ Jesus. Peter, in his first letter, he says in chapter 1, 6 through 6-7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through, it is through is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This testing, this trial that we face, we go through this, and it's the testing of the genuineness of our faith. And when we go through this, it brings us to this point of worship and adoration and praise to our great God. Church, you must rejoice in that. We must rejoice in the fact that our trials that we face produces this genuineness of our faith, which leads to Christ being magnified. The whole purpose of why we are created is for the creation to worship the creator. That should bring about this overflow of worship and adoration despite the trials. We should rejoice when we face these trials. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That first part there, when he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, it means that this growth in our Christian character, the sanctification, if you will, in our lives, each of us are called to seek the Lord and to live surrendered lives daily. It's part of this daily obedience and surrender to Christ. As we do so, we are being sanctified. You have to remember, the moment that we come and we confess Christ and we've repented of our sins, what happens to us in that moment? Theological terms here. We are justified. We are saved. We are considered justified before God. Yet every single day, until the day we are called home, until the day of Christ's return, we are being sanctified. We are growing in that sanctification process. And praise God for that. The sanctification can be difficult at times. But we are still sinners that have been saved by God's grace and His mercy. We still sin. And thank God for that grace and mercy because He gives it to us every day to where we are able to grow. But He says there, continuing in verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, church, it's this pursuit of holiness. It's this pursuit of Christ daily, seeking to live our lives as holy. To be Christ-like, to follow the teachings of Scripture. To see that this is authoritative in our lives. To live our lives as servants, as James says there in the greeting. We will not be perfect and complete until that day when Christ returns. But in the meantime, we're called to live our lives set apart for the glory of God while he shows us that daily grace and mercy. Now, as I said, we still sin every day. We still have those moments where we struggle back and forth. But as we talked about in the spiritual discipline study... Over the past several weeks, when we were in the topic of prayer, we saw in the model prayer, specifically in Matthew 6, 12, that Jesus says, and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And if you remember from that sermon, when we were discussing that, we're not coming before God every day and asking for the forgiveness of our sins as a whole. We're not coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need salvation again today. Please forgive me of it. No, because we've been justified. But we still must come before the Lord every day and confess those sins. We have those times in our lives where we struggle with sin. Every single day, every single one of us struggles with sin. So we must continually come before the Lord and bring these confessions and repent to him. Now, not only are followers of Christ uh, to trust the Lord in his divine purposes... ...through these trials, but they must also ask for wisdom in dealing with the trials. Verse 5 tells us, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James wants the reader here to understand the fact that if one is lacking wisdom in dealing with these trials... ...they need to come before the Lord seeking wisdom... What a thought, right? We get in these moments where we're facing these trials and things are difficult and they're hard. What should we do? We should run to our Abba Father. We should run to him and cry out to him and seek his will and his glory and what he wants in our lives. We should fast before him as we've talked about last week. We should do these things in our lives. Why is wisdom needed in dealing with these types of situations? Because, folks, in our sinful state, as we were just discussing, in our sinful state, we may not see how the said trials are opportunities of refinement in our faith. Instead, we look at it again as these moments of woe is me. Or, man, this is difficult. Why am I going through this? Yet these trials are there to refine us. To make us more like Christ as we pursue holiness. And as we see throughout Scripture, wisdom comes from God. So it must be sought out in prayer. Another reason why we must be disciplined in the discipline of prayer. Now he says there, James is indicating the fact that we must, not that we get to or it's an opportunity for us to an option, we must go before the Lord and ask for wisdom. It says there, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, it says there, who gives generously to all without reproach. You know, I think of that word generously. And for some of you, you may know this restaurant, but I think of the restaurant Lizard's Thicket. A wonderful place, really good home-cooked food. And, man, when you go to that restaurant and you're sitting there at the table and you get the portions there and they're laid out on the menu and you see it says generous helping. Man, it takes it and they put it all on the plate. And it's some good cooking. It's some good food. And you get a whole lot on that plate to devour if you can make it through the whole meal. Yeah, I think of that when I see that word generous. Now think of that in the context of God. We come before him and he asks, and we ask God for wisdom and how to deal with these said trials. And scripture tells us that he gives generously. Father, I'm coming to you in faith, asking you to give me wisdom in how to deal with this. What the next step is, where I'm going I need your direction. So I ask for this wisdom and faith, trusting that you are who you say you are, trusting that you will provide it. And God gives it generously to us, church. Mere sinners that deserve his wrath, saved by his grace, given this generously. Such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And then we see there, to all without reproach. It gives this notion that we need not be nervous or hesitant to go before God with these requests, to go before Him because He freely gives it to those who come before Him, trusting Him in faith, knowing that He will give it to His children. Verse 6 tells us, But let him ask in faith, there it is, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James instructs the follower here to ask in faith with no doubting. Asking in faith shows the confidence that we have that God is who he says he is. He is faithful. He is just. He is going to do it. And we also know that the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is assurance. Us church. James gives this image of one who doubts that God is who he says he is as one who is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You can see the image in your mind. If you've ever even gone out to the Charleston Harbor or out here to the Cooper River and you stay out there in the middle of a windstorm and you watch the water, it's just the waves are continually crashing back and forth on each other. James is giving that picture there for us to see. The one who doubts God, it's just like they're being driven back and forth. And there's no clear direction. There's no stability in their lives. There is no certainty. With God, there is certainty. With God, there is stability because he is sovereign God over this world whom we trust. That is who our great God is. Verse 7, James says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James don't hold back here, folks. James is not holding back and he tells the reader that they need to be assured of not receiving anything from the Lord because they have not come before the Lord in faith, trusting him, trusting that he is God as he says he is in the Word. And with eight, this double-mindedness, as it's being described, again, I'll read it. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This double-mindedness shows this lack of trust in God. This lack of trust, and it's being torn between the Lord, serving the Lord, and serving the things of this world. Now, we see countless examples all through Scripture of, of how faith and trust is required. Obviously, as part of the faith of following Christ. But just to name one example in Matthew, chapter 9, 27 through 29, Scripture says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, according to your faith, Be it done to you. Faith is necessity. It is required. And we also see again the writer of Hebrews in 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The scriptures are very clear. Faith is required. Trusting in God is required. Not just this belief in God, not just believing that there is a God, trusting him, knowing him, because he has saved your soul. There's that intimate relationship because of what has been done for you through the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. You know the word, you trust the word, you trust the Lord in everything that he tells you through the word. The Holy Spirit indwells you because of all that has happened through the finished work of Jesus. We must, we must have the faith and ask these things for wisdom of God, knowing that he will give it, and he gives it generously, church, without reproach. Lastly, followers of Christ must trust God in his divine purposes, asking for wisdom when facing trials. And number three, understand the trials of poverty and wealth. Now, looking here at verse 9, I'll read this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. It's almost like James just out of of nowhere just kind of switches it on us. And he starts talking, he lays these things out, and then he goes into talking about poor and rich. But in the great context of everything we've seen so far in this passage in 1 through 8, I think that this does fit in pretty well here based on what James is saying. And, And here's what I mean by that. We, we see here, again in 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He instructs the lowly brother, that's how he refers to him, to boast in this exaltation. What's interesting to note here, church, is that James does not use the common Greek word that refers narrowly to economic poverty. Instead, he employs the word tapenos, which means lowly or humble. Now, as I read to you at the beginning, Robert Plummer says this, and this one's not on the screen. I just want you to hear this. Dr. Plummer states, he draws a thread from the rich tapestry of prior biblical revelation in which those who are brought low by financial poverty also frequently find an accompanying poverty of spirit, i.e. humility, that is pleasing to God. So he says there, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Yes, although the one that does not have a lot in this world, doesn't have a lot of financial means, yet that person is able to come humble before the Lord and boast in his exaltation of Christ. Not boasting in what he has here on this earth, but boasting in what he has through the finished work of Jesus, trusting God with his salvation knowing that there is a day coming when life for that person is over on this earth, and it's immediately in the presence of God. Knowing that at the end of this world, Jesus will still reign. There will be a new heavens and earth, and we will all sit around the throne room crying, Holy, Holy, Holy to our great God, worshiping Him. We can recall also from Jesus' teachings, in the Sermon on the Mount, that the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. Again, using that same type of phrasing there as James is referencing here. And you can go back and look at that if you want in Matthew chapter 5 right at the beginning. Ultimately, folks, this boasting of who they are in Christ, regardless of who they are by worldly standards, is what is the most important. Now looking at verse 10, James says, And the rich... In his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James here is instructing the rich to boast in his humiliation. Why is that? Because again, the status of this world is only what? It's only temporal. It's only temporary, folks. There is nothing of this world that we can take with us when we're gone. There's nothing of that. The rich should not boast of their worldly fortune and the things that they have and gain because it is only temporary in this life. The kind of one thing that you kind of see that's a little bit of a parallel in what James is addressing here is it goes right along with the teachings of Jesus from, from the Gospels of how one cannot serve God and serve money. But the biggest thing I want you to get from that last point is that we've seen so far that through the trials that we face, we must choose joy. We must honor and worship God for who he is. And when we're facing these trials and trying to determine what is next for us and trying to get through it and figure out what in the world is going on. We come before the Lord in faith, asking wisdom of him, knowing that he gives it to us generously and knowing also that. That no matter what the status is in our life on this earth, whether we are considered poor by economic standards, whether we are considered rich by economic standards, it doesn't matter. What matters is what we have through the finished work of Jesus at Calvary and his resurrection from the grave. That is what's most important. That is what fuels us every day to be on mission through the finished work of Christ. Now, church, I want to ask you and those listening, you may not be a member of Holmes Avenue, you may not be a member of our church, but but you're here and you're listening. So I want to ask you a question. If you identify yourself as a follower of Christ, how are you handling the trials that you face? May say, well, Brian, everything's going pretty well right now. There's, There's not a trial going on in my life. Well, praise God for that. But there's a trial coming. I can guarantee it. You're going to face another trial before you see Jesus face to face. So when that time comes, how are you going to react to that trial? Are you going to choose joy and and go before the Lord, asking him for wisdom and how to deal with that trial, knowing that he's going to give it to you generously? You may be listening now and you may say, well, Brian, I'm going through a trial right now, and man, it is rough and it's hard. And to be honest, I don't know how to feel like I'm getting above water. I feel like I'm drowning in the midst of it. What should I do? I think we can see here in Scripture what you should do. You should cry out to the Lord. You should trust Him. You should know in faith that you can come before Him and offer up your request to Him, knowing that He will give it generously, especially when you ask for that wisdom and how to navigate and go through it and figure out what is next. You may also say, well, Brian, I I don't even know what it means to follow Jesus. Well, I want to encourage you, if you're listening right now and you say, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know what it means to cry out to God, to ask him for wisdom. I don't even know what it means to cry out to him in faith because I don't have this relationship that you're talking about. I want to encourage you to do something. In just a moment, you can you can click right here on the, this comment thread. You can send us a message. You can go to the link you see on the screen, homesavenue.com forward slash contact. And you can just send us a quick message and say, hey, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. What does that mean? Give me this, the great news that you refer to as the gospel. We are standing by ready and willing to describe to you and explain and walk beside you and teach you what it means to follow Jesus. You may say, well, Brian, I, I know Christ, but man, I need prayer. I want you to go there as well. Leave us prayer requests. Let us know how it is that we can be praying for you. How it is that we can come alongside of you and help you navigate through this journey of the Christian life. It would be our joy and our pleasure to do that for you. I'm going to take a moment just for some quiet, reflective prayer. And I want to challenge you just as we do every week. Stop right now and ask God, Lord, what is it that you are speaking to me because of this message? What is it that has been said today that I truly need to hear, that I maybe need to step out and do? What is it that I need to have as my next step? And then in just a moment after we have this quiet, reflective prayer, I will close this out in prayer, and then we will sing our final song. So let's go before the Lord in quiet, reflective prayer. Father God, I come before you now, Lord, on behalf of the saints at Holmes Avenue and those that are listening right now, Lord, and I I pray specifically for them, whatever it is, maybe, Lord, that that you have said today that is maybe drawing them, that's gotten their attention, Lord, I pray that they would not put up a wall to it, or they would say, I'll come back to that later, but, Lord, that they would address it right now. They would see whatever it is that they need to do next. If it's choosing joy in the midst of the trial they're going through now, but I pray that they would choose joy and they would seek you in faith and ask for the wisdom that is necessary, trusting that you'll provide it, living a life regardless of economic status for your glory, choosing to boast in you and the finished work of Jesus, his resurrection from the grave. Father, I pray that you would have your way. Have your way in these next few moments, Lord. Father, as your spirit is maybe drawing near to someone, Lord, it could be the day of salvation for them. Lord, as they confess Christ, Lord, let them proclaim it to us so that we can come alongside of them and help them and walk them through and navigate what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that that you be glorified. God, that you would have your way and that your will would be done. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for the trials as it produces this steadfastness in us to endure and to pursue holiness continually in our lives. To you be the glory. We love you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.